I love technology. It's so great. All right, so uh, does everybody have a handout for this morning? Number 12. The elite group here this morning, as usual. All right, before we get started, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for, uh, for our church. We thank you for this body here. We thank you for the chance we have um, and have had this summer to think about discipleship, to think about the importance that it is, the importance that it has in the lives of believers um, and in the growth of your church and the building of your kingdom. Um, we thank you for the chance to study this and think about it. We also pray that you will use this study that we've had to encourage the people here to grow in discipling, um, to grow in uh, loving one another and trying to help uh, encourage and build up your church. Uh, may our discussion and our time this morning be edifying to the church and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so sadly, uh, this is the last session of our summer seminar on discipling. Everybody shed a tear. Um, but I hope that uh, you're ending this summer more excited and more equipped and better prepared for discipleship and discipling relationships than you were maybe at the beginning. That's kind of the goal. Um, before we really launch into this session, I just want to take a minute to review this whole kind of where we've been, talk about uh, this seminar as a whole. So in the first session, we saw what discipling is. Um, it is the intentional, deliberate, relational, and loving training in God's Word. That's what it is. In the second session, uh, we learned why we ought to disciple. Um, we want to do it for others' good, for our joy, and for God's glory. In the third session, there were, we learned about some ways that we could overcome uh, barriers and excuses that we might have for why we don't want to or why we feel like we can't disciple. In the fourth session, we saw the importance of personal holiness and saw that not only is it important for the discipler to exhibit a holy life, but it's also important to encourage that kind of personal holiness in a disciple. Uh, in the fifth session, we looked at the re important role that the local church plays in discipling, both in connecting people together um, and acting as kind of an accountability partner for a discipling relationship. In the sixth session, uh, we started to explore personal spiritual disciplines, and in session six, we talked about Bible study, how to encourage a disciple to study the Bible. Um, in session seven, we talked about prayerfulness, how to encourage somebody to live a life full of prayer. In session eight, we talked about uh, how we could use Christian books uh, in discipling. Um, in nine, we learned about the importance of uh, evangelism and missions and how we can encourage a passion for that in disciples. Uh, in session 10, we talked about the biblical theology of suffering, and we saw um, how to disciple people who are hurting. And then last week, uh, Sterlio talked about the importance of biblical accountability within a relationship, within any kind of uh, discipling relationship on both sides, that there has to be a level of accountability. And then, here we are, our tw week 12, final week, we want to really touch on two basic subjects, and that is the dangers or hazards of discipling and then the joys of discipling. So, here we go. We'll start with uh, hazards or dangers of discipling. There are seven of them. Um, and as we walk through these, uh, I want you to kind of think about discipling relationships that you've been involved in or are currently in uh, or that you might, you know, think about being involved in, whatever else, and think about ways that these kind of attitudes or issues could rise up or have risen 
uh, for you. Um, and think about, you know, how we want to be on guard for this kind of thing uh, in the future. So let's start. We'll consider four dangers um, that discipling poses to the discipler, the person who is doing kind of the leadership in this discipling role. Uh, four ways that these four issues that could come up. Negative characteristics, you could maybe call them. Number one, self-importance. It's easy when you're kind of in this discipleship role where you're discipling somebody to put yourself on this spiritual pedestal. Um, And you might see yourself as really important because you're meeting with and influencing this younger Christian. So you get tempted to think that through your power, your prowess, your gifts, your strategies, through all the time that you're pouring into this person, uh, you've changed their life, right? So you see some growth in them and you're like, look what I have done. Be careful. (laughs) Um, The Apostle Paul, we use him kind of as an example here, saw tremendous change happen in the lives of people through his work. Um, But here's how he describes himself in 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So we might be tempted to think that our hard work is what has transformed people. But remind yourself, it is God's grace that changes people, not you. Um, You and the disciple that you are discipling are both sinners, saved by grace. God's grace had an effect on your life. God's grace is having an effect on their life. Um, So while God is using you, hopefully, this is what discipling is about. God is using you as a means to point that younger believer to Christ, ultimately it's not you, but it's God's grace that is transformative in their life. Issue number two, self-reliance. This is where we get so caught up in this discipling relationship uh, that we forget to even look to God for any answers. Um, We just kind of give an answer off the top of our minds. Uh, We think, I'm experienced. I know what I'm talking about. They ask a question. We don't pause to consider. We don't think about what Scripture would say. We just answer. And maybe the answer is good. Maybe 90% of the time your answer is full of biblical wisdom and fine. But is it always? And so we have to be really careful not to just rely on ourselves. There's also that level at which we get so, like, preoccupied with the little details of uh, sins and struggles uh, and the relationships with people that we forget to kind of look to God, turn vertically, uh, as some would say, to look for grace and strength that helps equip us uh, in these kind of relationships. So as disciples, we want to turn to God quickly and rely on him first and foremost for anything. So be slow to give answers, be quick to listen, uh, and be quick to turn to God in prayer, be quick to turn to Scripture uh, for encouragement or... Um, wisdom. Uh, We are made to be dependent on God, both the discipler and the disciple. And part of that is you're modeling this for that disciple too, that you don't think you have all the answers, right? Even if you do know the answer, turning to the word and showing them that you're turning to the word shows that you're not dependent on what's in here, but you're dependent upon God's word first and foremost. You always want to strive to answer with biblical truth and biblical wisdom. And some may be helpful uh, is just in a moment, ask yourself a question. Am I sharing my own opinion too quickly? Um, Have I taken the time to search the scriptures for what God has to say about this? Um, Those kind of questions will be helpful in just kind of thinking through these issues. Number three, 
third problem that can arise for the discipler. Program-mindedness. And this is where we go back to that phrase, discipling is a relational process, not a program. Uh, the issue could be that we get caught up so much in the agenda um, that we're unaware of what's actually going on in this person's life. Uh, we overlook like the immediate struggle that they may be having. So we have to be flexible. We have to say, okay, there's an immediate need that's come up. I don't want to be so prideful about my plan, my original plan, that I fail to put down that book or that study or whatever else I'm doing to actually help this person. So don't let a concern with your like lesson plan, maybe with your disciple, uh, cause you to be unaware of what was actually going on in their life. Don't always start your, you know, if you meet together weekly or whatever else, don't always start that meeting by launching into your preset little discipling agenda um, because discipling is a relationship. It's not a class. It's not, you know, you teaching this person. You are teaching them, but it's relational teaching. Also realize, though, that a balance has to be struck here. So don't, don't just go too far the other direction. You have to be willing to adapt to problems as they come up, but don't be so flexible that you're just following them, right? You don't want to let them lead and just changing the subject every single week uh, to whatever just happens to be on their mind. Be really discerning about how to get through, you know, if you want to get through a book with them, be discerning about doing that, but also saying sometimes, this isn't what we need to do this week. Also recognize that sometimes whatever material you're using may just not be what they need right now. It may not be helpful. Um, So don't be so prideful that you're unwilling to just say, "Uh, maybe we don't need to do this book right now, or Maybe this isn't really what, uh, what you need. Number four, a sense of failure. So maybe you decide, all right, I'm going to disciple somebody. I really want to do this. You connect with them. You all meet together. You've been meeting together for a couple of months now. And it's really just not really going like you imagined it would. Um, you're not seeing any growth in them maybe. Um, or they're like just wrapped up in this seemingly inescapable sin. And you're just frustrated. Um, maybe you just don't get along. Maybe they just really rub you the wrong way. Their personality is irritating. Um, maybe they just don't like you. All those things can be really discouraging, um, naturally. Uh, so you will probably feel like, I failed at this discipling thing. Um, I'm not doing what they need. And you may get so disappointed even um, that you come to this point where you begin to doubt that God could use you right? How could God use me? This is not working at all. So what can we do? Well, consider the fact that you are not the only means of sanctification or work in the discipling friend's life, okay? When you disciple, especially when you're discipling in the context of the local church, we see that there are lots of other means, other relationships, uh, personal studies, sermons on Sunday, discussion groups, community groups, all these ways, right, that they can learn about God. They provide teaching and grounding in the Word. So it's not all about you, not all about what you can do. Trust that God can work in somebody's life even outside of your, your connection with them. Also recognize that God has promised that His Word doesn't go out void. You can't really expect to just see immediate and tangible fruit the first three weeks of a discipling relationship. So don't let that lack of fruit um, think that you're, cause you to think that you're not doing any good. Trust that God has promised that, he will, that his word will bear fruit. And so 
by focusing less on myself and focusing more on God's word as a means of change, um, that change will come. We trust that God will bring it. Also, maybe uh, another course of action here, maybe after six months of this meeting, really still nothing's going on, maybe just be willing to encourage this person to meet with somebody else. Um, There's nothing wrong with just saying, like, this relationship is not edifying either of us. This really isn't being the sanctifying force that I thought it was going to be. The kingdom of God doesn't begin or end with you. So just because you say, I wasn't the person to reach this person, um, doesn't mean that you don't have a role in the kingdom. It doesn't mean that they're unreachable. It doesn't mean that God has failed in his plan. Um, Be humble enough to admit that this isn't working and encourage them to say, hey, uh, you know, this guy might be able to help you with this struggle more, whatever. So those are kind of four dangers uh, of discipling for the discipler. Self-importance, self-reliance, program-mindedness, and a sense of failure. Um, We don't have a whole lot of time, but if anybody, does anybody have a issue like a danger of discipling for the discipler that I missed that you think should be added to that list. Yes. Okay, so losing your sense of Yeah. He said losing your sense of commitment to that relationship as well, where you get so kind of tired or worn down or just uh, lose the kind of focus on discipling somebody. Any other thoughts? Wants to add dangers for the discipler. Yeah, I think the, one of the key things to re- remember is that, that a discipling relationship for a discipler is recognizing that theme we've seen throughout this study, that you're a conduit. You're a channel of God's grace and God's mercy of sanctification in the life of this person. God chooses to use people to accomplish these processes, these spiritual things in this world um, out of his grace. And so we get to be kind of a channel for that. But don't get a big head because all you are is a pipe, Okay. Pipes are great, but nobody's going to just, like, take a pipe and mount it up as, like, a trophy. Like, this is the best thing ever. It was a pipe. Oh, it's a pipe. It has a function. It has a job. um, But it does not deserve tons of glory, right? Okay, let's move on then to several dangers that discipling poses to those that we are discipling. So these are dangers for the disciple. Number one, inappropriate intimacy. Uh, Now, this is mainly just in, like, cross-gender discipling. Um, because we recognize that studying together, sharing struggles, praying together um, is a, presents a close kind of intimate setting. And so, in general, discipling someone of the opposite sex is just a bad idea, okay? 
unless it's your husband or wife, don't disciple somebody who's not the same gender as you. Easy enough, right? Now you may go, well, duh, um, but this can become, I mean, we've seen this be an issue. Um, maybe think about youth ministry positions, maybe think about a pastor with a, a, you know, a young adult kind of in, who's moving into a ministry position, whatever else. Um, this kind of thing can happen because we say, well, this is a, it's a God thing, right? It's not anything else. This is all about God's kingdom, um, but it's just dangerous, so be very careful with that. Number two, dependency on the discipler. So after you've met for a while, um, you realize, hmm, this person is really dependent on me <laughs> uh, to guide them in Bible study, to guide them in prayer, to help them recognize their sin, to help them understand what truth is. And so instead of maybe, maybe you need to pause for a second and say, uh, I want to encourage you to build up this biblical, this, this Christian discipline and knowledge for yourself. I want you to have a personal walk with Christ. Um, and so maybe for things that you're doing together, maybe if you're studying a passage of Scripture together, uh, have them teach it to you. That way they're not relying on you to walk them through the Word, but they're, they're having to do it themselves and teach you about it. That way you know that they are spending time learning the Word on their own. Uh, have them pray for over the meal that you're having together. Um, force them to take a kind of a leadership role every now and then. That way they're not so dependent upon everything that you do. What we don't want, kind of in general here, we don't want somebody who's so dependent upon their discipler that uh, they stop living faithfully when that discipling relationship is over. Um, just kind of imagine, if I'm discipling somebody, if I were to suddenly disappear from their life, uh, and that's possible, right? Would that person continue to pursue faithfulness? Would they grow in godliness continuing? Um, or would they just kind of stop? Um, we want people to pursue this on their own. Okay, so that's part of what a discipler is trying to guide their disciple in, is, is growing on their own as well. Number three, trusting you too easily. Um, so basically, this is just like taking your word for truth without really thinking about it. And this is closely related to the last one where uh, they're just kind of counting on you, depending upon you. And in this case, uh, they're almost thinking that you have the words of life, right? And we do. We do have the words of life, right? Uh, and they're in that thing called the Bible. But we want them to trust that and not this, okay? So maybe the person you're discipling uh, has a habit of just always asking you to tell them, no, 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 just tell me what it is. Tell me the truth. Tell me what this means, right? And they just take your word for it. They never raise questions to you. They never challenge you. Uh, if, they, if you've recommended a book, they read that book as if everything it says is exactly word for, is God's word, basically. They trust you so much. And that, you, want, you want a relationship like that to be full of trust, You want a relationship like that to be full of trust, but you always also want to recognize that they need to be trusting God's word more than they trust uh, what you say. Um, they don't want to have this exclusive allegiance to you alone. Dadgummit. I'm trying to teach here, you wasp. Little jerk. Go away. It's been wasting my time here. 
stuff. I know, the hazards of, hazards of discipling. Stinging insects. Okay. <laughs> okay, so when, if somebody is putting this high degree of trust in you, be really careful about the example you give and the advice that you give to them. Uh, you always want to emphasize that they are accountable to God's word just like you are. Um, and the decisions that they make or you make uh, are accountable to God. So don't let them say, oh, he's going to judge me or he's going to tell me that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, whatever else. They're accountable to God, not to you. That's the important thing. And always encourage them to examine every conversation, every book they read, uh, anything that's said in your discussions, whatever else. Compare it to the Word of God. Examine it in light of Scripture, um, because that is the ultimate standard. Also, of course, encourage them to have relationships with other people outside of your relationships so that they're getting, hearing other ideas and stuff too. Uh, that's always helpful. So kind of in all of these areas, these possible hazards and dangers, uh, we want to be cautious of them, recognize that they're there, that they could present an issue. I just give up, man. I... Okay, um, so are there any other uh, <laughs> dangers for the disciple that might come up that you could think of? Want to be careful of those things, but don't let these kind of possible dangers. What? In, yes, yes. Don't let the, the, uh, the dangers, the hazards, the troubles that could arise deter you from doing it, Okay. Don't let that be like, a, oh, I'm not going to disciple now because what if this happens? What if that happens? Well, it may. Um, be careful of it, but still do it. All right. Yes. Right, so if you, and that may be, a, a, I guess, a hazard of the discipler as well. Uh, if you've got unconfessed or, you know, really heavy <laughs> abiding sin in your life that, that uh, is yet to come out, and it comes out in the process of a discipling relationship, that could certainly uh, not only, you know, be a trouble for that relationship alone, but lots of relationships, and yeah, like Mr. Ross said, have a ripple effect for, for lots of things. So, um, the importance of personal holiness in the life of a discipler is vital, absolutely. Okay, let's go on then to the joys of discipling. Um, there are five of these, and I want to kind of just set you up for this. These are joys, but you'll notice that all of them are active, okay? All these are cultivate, savor, 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 spin them. Okay, these, these are things that we are doing. So this is not just a passive joy. Sometimes we think about the most, what's the most joyous thing that could happen to me? And you may say the most joyous moment I could have in my life is sitting and doing, the, you know, like as little as possible. I just want to sit and read a book. I just want to go sit out in nature and do whatever. Just put me on, what, okay, whatever your moment is, I doubt that it's like the greatest joy I have in my life is working really, really hard. I'm sure some overachiever is going to be like, 
I love working. It's the best thing ever. Working, working, working is all I want to do. I get such joy. Jerry, I'm talking to you. I get such joy from working so hard. Uh, <laughs> joy, typically, we don't associate that with action. Okay? We, we like to think that joy is a passive thing. I get joy, right? It, it comes to me. These are things we do that almost, in a sense, I guess, create joy. We find joy. We go and seek it out. And these are ways that we can do that. Number one, cultivate a taste for the pleasure of discipling. So cultivate a taste. Um, Maybe somebody might say acquire a taste. Um, You know, I I remember when I was a kid, somebody was talking about beer or whatever, and it's like, and somebody said, yeah, beer's so nasty. It's like, well, you have to acquire a taste for it. Um, This is kind of like that, only way better than beer, I promise. Despite... (laughs) Despite all the dangers associated with discipling, uh, it is a great joy. It's a pleasure to be used by God. It's a pleasure to be that channel, that conduit of spiritual blessing and encouragement uh, in the life of another person. Um, But it's not a pleasure that's just immediate necessarily. Um, We have to work at cultivating a taste for this. We have to practice enjoying it. Um, And lots of people spend lots of time acquiring tastes for fine wine and caviar and whatever else, right? I'm like, well, I can tell that this is from the Bordeaux region of whatever, okay? So you can cultivate, somebody might cultivate that kind of taste. Cult- that, <laughs> that isn't even lasting. Like, what does that even matter uh, in the long-term scheme of things? We ought to be acquiring a taste for something that has real eternal worth. Um, and so cultivate a capacity to enjoy the pleasure that discipling is uh, in your life. If you are genuine believer, a true Christian, you already have this in you, right? That capacity to find joy in seeing others grow is there already. Maybe you've experienced some with your kids, right? Maybe even if you haven't had other kinds of relationships, you've had that moment where you've seen a kid go, understand something, and you say, wow, I got to have the joy of seeing that happen in their life. That's just an example. You know, think about how that could occur more often with other people that you don't even know yet, maybe. Cultivate that. Decide that I want to work to find greater joy in discipling others, watching them grow, watching them bear fruit for the kingdom. Number two, savor the joy of seeing your church prosper. A lifestyle that is, like, steeped in this commitment to discipling If that is pervasive throughout a church, um, that's going to bring another level of joy too. Not only is that commitment to discipling going to bless the person that you're spending time with that you are discipling, not only will it bring you joy, not only will it bring God glory, but there's also a good likelihood that the church will be blessed by and built up by this work of discipling. How could it not? If there are people who are connected together, who are growing each other, who are mutually upbuilding one another, who are helping be channels of sanctification in each other's lives, that's going to grow a church. It's going to make it better, necessarily. When you disciple someone in, within your church, within Christ's community, you're not just helping that person, um, but you're building up the whole body of Christ. Number three, savor the joy of being fruitful for the kingdom. So I trust that all of us here would desire to see fruit come from our lives, to say, I want to see my obedience uh, in the labor that I put in for this kingdom, uh, I want to see it be fruitful. 
And I would say that one of the most clearly fruitful things that we can do in our efforts to grow the kingdom of God is to encourage another person through discipleship. Um, We know that God is going to keep his own to the end, and we know that God does that through means like people. He uses us. Um, He uses preaching, Bible reading, uh, fellowship, and discipling relationships with other Christians to accomplish his spiritual ends. He has these goals. He's going to do these things, and he's going to use people like us to do them. So if you want to uh, increase the potential of your life being fruitful for God's kingdom, a logical choice for you to do is to build a discipling relationship. Start now. We want to be a source of encouragement and blessing, not just for people, but for our church as a whole. And um, I don't know. We may not redeem our culture. Um, our favorite political party may not win. Um, maybe your business skills won't uh, fund this church, you know, lavish this church and bless it greatly. Maybe uh, your medical research won't, you know, eliminate suffering in thousands of lives, whatever. But I do know that God's going to grow and bless his people through the encouragement of other believers. I think it's a biblical truth. And so if I want to kind of, I guess, play the odds, like if that's how you want to talk about this, um, on what's most likely to build lasting fruit, to be a great end goal kind of, I want to build fruit for the kingdom, engaging in discipling is the obvious and wise choice. Number four, savor the joy of seeing a culture of discipling within the church. We want to see this culture develop within not only our church, but churches in this community and churches across this nation, across the world. Uh, Because when you have a culture of discipling in your church, you have lots of people in that community that are experiencing this joy and pursuing it and making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Um, And this is really important because we want to see entire communities. We want to see nations. We want to see areas impacted by the Bible. We want to see them impacted by the gospel. Um, Our American culture is all about this individual pursuit of my desires But we know that Christianity, biblical Christianity, encourages the corporate pursuit of God's desires. It's not about what makes me happy. It's about what makes God happy within the church, within the body. So how do you get this kind of culture in your church? Well, certainly, I mean, there's a role that leadership plays, and so our elders will have a role in setting that vision for our church. Um, But as much as that, maybe even more than that, Uh, If every believer within a church understands that discipling, uh, whether that's being a disciple or being the one who's discipled, uh, is a responsibility for them, um, then that's going to do more than than anything else can, right? If If we just all just recognize, I'm a believer, I need to be involved in some kind of discipling relationship, period. Then that's gonna, that's gonna grow the church, it will. (coughs) Number five. And this one's kind of worded strangely, but it works. Uh, spinning them up and spinning them out for God's glory. So here's, let me explain this. The goal of your discipling is not just the growth and health of one person. It's not all about, okay, now I have helped this person reach spiritual maturity. Um, my discipling work is done. I'm going to go home now. No, our goal here is to replicate disciple-making disciples. That's what we're trying to do. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that's a difficult task because it requires more than just, you know, enough training. It requires a really 
intense relationship, which is going to, you know, grow a person to the point where they can make a disciple. Um, it can also be a really s- a source of, like, loss, right? Because uh, maybe you've been discipling somebody for a long time, and now they are moving out of your life. Um, it ought to bring us joy, but it, it's also sometimes painful to say, well, this relationship has to end because now they are the disciple maker, and they're going to do things for God's kingdom um, outside of, of me. And so in your work in the life of this believer, right, your goal should be spinning them up, getting them going, preparing them, and then spinning them out of your life. Maybe they'll still be, you know, it's not saying that it's a temporary project, right? It's not like, oh, well, this is over now, I'm going to be done. There will definitely be people in your life that you've spent time with discipling, uh, and you'll meet with them for years and years and years, right? After years and years, you'll still have a good relationship with them. But if you're really blessed by God in discipling, um, then the fruit of that relationship is going to change, and it's going to change wonderfully over time. It's going to develop into something better. The person that you are encouraging is going to start growing to the point that they themselves are going to be pouring into people in the same way that you poured into them. And this is going to sometimes mean that you're going to meet with them less often because what are they doing? They're going and discipling others. They're meeting with other people. And that doesn't mean that you're going to dump them and be like, okay, sorry, our, our time is over. I'm done with you. It just means that for the sake of God's kingdom, you're not going to cling on to them and hang on to them and pull them back and say, no, 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 don't leave me, don't leave me. Uh, I still have so much more to teach you. If you start to see that spiritual um, momentum, that's a good word there, spiritual momentum that you uh, infused into their life, if you see that begin to move them forward, move them out of your life, that they're infusing that into other people, rejoice. Praise God that he used you as an instrument in his plan. He used you to help somebody else grow and become a channel for spiritual encouragement for somebody else. That's the goal. That's what, that's what we're aiming to do with discipling, right? So don't be so mournful <laughs> that you've reached your goal. This is, what, this is what you've set out to do. Rejoice that you have, uh, through God's grace, that you've been used to do this. View this relationship as an opportunity to bless multitudes of people. Think of it kind of like a spiritual pyramid scheme, maybe. I'm sorry, that was like it. All right, so concluding thoughts. Just kind of finish this out. I got a couple minutes. Well, I got a minute and a half. Good grief. That wasp took my time away. Discipling is the work of the church, not just the leaders. So it's not just the job of the elders or the kind of like people you see in leadership positions. This is a ministry that requires a lot of time and commitment from the body as a whole. Um, It is the job of a healthy congregation to disciple one another. Number two, discipling can be a great way to spread the blessing of of the word of God, the blessing of the gospel beyond our church. Christ Community is a small local church, um, but people who have been and are and will be part of this body uh, will make an impact for God's kingdom in other places. Some of them already are. Um, So even after this church is gone, even after, you know, whatever happens in Texarkana is wiped off the face of the map, whatever, um, We want the legacy of discipling to continue in this world. And it may be that um, as you're working to model good discipling and serve as a member of this body, you're planting seeds that are going to yield fruit in other churches across this world, across this nation, whatever. That's That's an awesome 
part, thing to be part of. God is using that kind of discipling relationship here to ultimately bring blessings to other places. Number three, greater emphasis on discipling starts with you. Don't, don't say, all right, this is great. I sure hope more people at Christ Community Church will uh, do all this stuff we've been talking about in the discipling class. Um, no, walk away saying, God, help me be a catalyst for this. I want to be part. I want to do this. Go and look for ways that you can relate to other people and engage in uh, discipling with them. Right? Don't just say, well, sh- that, that is a good idea. I sure hope that more people will do that uh, and then not do it. That doesn't make any sense. Number four, continue to grow in your own discipleship of Christ. This means resolving for yourself with God's help to really work hard on your own relationship. And this is kind of what uh, Mr. House alluded to a second ago. If you're going to engage in discipling somebody, you've got to make sure that, that you're pretty solid. Okay? If you've got issues, you need to be a disciple first. Go get discipled if that's what needs to happen. Number five, seek out people and opportunities to encourage one another. And this is just about being active. Go and find the people. Go seek out opportunities. Watch for them. Make them if you have to. Right? Don't just think that this is going to magically just happen. You're like, oh, suddenly I found myself. I've been discipling this person for six years, and I never made any sort of effort to do so. It's unlikely that's going to occur, right? People don't generally raise their kids to be great kids if they just kind of sit around and like, well, I hope that they'll turn out okay. I hope that God's going to just let them be good. No, this is active. You have to work at it. Don't be passive. Labor in fruitfulness. Uh, you want to be fruitful? You have to work at it. A plant doesn't, I mean, plants produce fruit, yes, but if you've got a gardener who knows what he's doing, they can do way better than they would without one. Be active in seeking to be that kind of conduit to pour blessing into other people uh, because it's a joy for us. That's what it means to be a real discipler. Um, go out from this seminar we've done this summer and don't just agree, that stuff is true, that's good. Feel the rich depth of truthfulness of what we've been talking about here, about the importance of discipleship and then pour yourself into other people's lives. It's good for you. It brings you joy. It's good for other people. It builds them up. And it brings God glory because that's what he designed us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have to be part of your plan. The great privilege that you've given us to be the channel that you pour grace into somebody's life, that you use to sanctify someone that you use to bring truth into someone's heart. How humbling it is to know that you use broken people like us to accomplish great things. We pray that you'll help us to remember who you are and who we are. Help us to remember that in our discipling, it's not about us. And it's not even about the person we're discipling. It's ultimately about your glory. Help us to find joy in discipling others. Help us to recognize the goodness that it is for other people and help us to rejoice um, that you're using it for your glory. And I pray that you'll use this seminar we've done this summer to impact um, the lives of people here in our church. I pray that you will help them to be encouraged and um, emboldened to go out um, and do this work of discipling um, with courage, with faithfulness, and recognizing that ultimately 
Uh, your plan is for them to do that and that they will, they will be successful in it because uh, it is for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name.